Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Small businesses feeling the impact from SVB's collapse, and now some are asking their banks tough questions or even moving their money around. We hear from the head of an organization expressing concerns over this. Regretting cross-sex procedures, a former transgender teen is suing her doctors, saying she didn't know what she was getting into due to her young age. Lawmakers hear impassioned debate on the First Amendment. Frustrated parent advocates want to end what they call unfair treatment by the Department of Justice. What do Americans have to say about a possible TikTok ban? While teenagers could be upset, some parents are fully on board. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank will have an impact on small businesses. That's according to the United States Hispanic Business Council. We're joined live by the president and CEO of the organization. Javier Palomares, thank you for coming on and shedding light on this important issue. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Please tell us how this collapse is impacting these companies. Well, you know, I think a little background um, first. that The United States Hispanic Business Council, as you know, we advocate on behalf of the 4.4 4.5 million Hispanic-owned firms in this country that collectively contribute over $800 billion to the American economy every year. Right now, Hispanics are starting new ventures at a rate of three to one when compared to the general market. Uh, this makes us the fastest growing segment of American small business. Now, this matters, Kevin, because it is the small businesses in this country that create nearly 70% of the new jobs. However, when we're starting up these new ventures, Hispanics usually have to turn to personal finances or friends and family to get the venture up and going. In fact, a Stanford study found that 70% of Hispanics get their funding from friends and family and only 6% get a traditional bank loan. The failure of SVB and Signature has made an already very difficult situation much more tenuous. And so it impacts the startup of new ventures in this country. It impacts the creation of new businesses and new jobs. Entrepreneurship is definitely a basic tenet to America. And as you're mentioning here, Hispanics are driving part of that. According to the Wall Street Journal, small businesses are now stress testing their banks. They're asking tough questions and some entrepreneurs are even shifting their deposits. What's the best way for these owners or any depositor for that matter to ensure their bank is secure? You know, I think every small business owner, Hispanic or not, needs to do their homework and understand the philosophy, the ideology of the bank they're working with. At the end of the day, uh, SVB closed and, and, and was closed because of their, their strategy. If you think about it, Kevin, a whopping 95% of their deposits were not insured. And they had a, an almost exclusive uh, a focus on tech and venture capital firms, both of which are very, very volatile. This created an environment that was ripe for a closure. So small business owners need to really do their homework and understand who they're banking with and the history of the bank. Yes, they definitely need to do their homework. And what questions do depositors need to be asking their banks right now? You know, I think it, it really boils down to the stability of the bank. You know, are, do you know your banker? Is he or she spending time with you? understanding your business. You know, I, I like to call out Zion's bank because, you know, this is a bank that has maintained throughout its history a very reliable, uh, very strong 
and diversified portfolio. Uh, they have made their business uh, by banking small to medium-sized businesses and American families. America needs more banks like Zion's Bank that throughout their history has maintained their commitment to the small business community. If you think about it, this very year, Zion's is celebrating their 150th anniversary. If that doesn't speak to stability, I don't know what does. That's stability, that's strength, and that's what the American small business community needs. Stands the test of time, that's good. And also, these personal relationships are very important, especially in banking. How confident are you that entrepreneurs will have access to capital in the midst of the banking crisis? You know, I, I remain very uh, skeptical that we will have the access that we need. All minority-owned businesses, all American small businesses have struggled to get in the door and get that all-important loan to buy that piece of equipment, to lease that new building, to, you know, to really grow their enterprise. And this situation has made it incredibly difficult. So I remain very skeptical, and I'm hopeful, though, that, again, other banks will follow the lead of the likes of Zion's Bank, which has created you know, a very diversified portfolio, has a very open-door policy, and it's literally out there talking to American small business owners, trying to figure out how do we help in the midst of this you know, situation that we've got going on. Yes, yeah, some best practices there. President and CEO of the United States Hispanic Business Council, Javier Palomares, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. A former transgender teen is suing her doctors. She says medical experts pushed her into wanting cross-sex procedures. Here's the story. A detransition teen is suing Kaiser Permanente Hospital because doctors removed her breasts during her transgender procedure. Layla Jane is an 18-year-old woman who began to identify as transgender at age 11. At the time, Jane wanted to transition to a male. Doctors initially hesitated but ultimately approved her request and performed a double mastectomy when she was 13. Jane now says, mind-boggling to me that a doctor signed off on a double mastectomy for me before I took a sex ed course. I barely started 8th grade. I was 13. Jane's attorneys accused the doctors of approving the breast removal surgery without performing an adequate evaluation and treatment of Layla's extensive mental health comorbidities. According to the letter, Jane suffers from anxiety, depression, struggles with puberty, body dysmorphia, and serious self-image concerns. Her lawyers argue that these doctors also pushed Layla and her parents down this transition path, engaging in intentional, malicious, and oppressive concealment of important information and false representations. The lawsuit demands unspecified amounts of pay for damages related to her health. A spokesperson for Kaiser didn't directly comment on the case, but told the Daily Mail that its doctors practice compassionate, evidence-based medicine founded on sound research and best medical practices. Chloe Cole is another young woman who detransitioned and filed a lawsuit against the hospital giant. Last summer, Cole testified on California's State Senate Judiciary Committee against a bill that would make the state a sanctuary for cross-sex procedures. I really didn't understand all the ramifications of any of the medical decisions I was making. I wasn't capable of understanding, and it was downplayed consistently. NTD reached out to Kaiser Permanente, but didn't immediately hear back. In California, a new bill would require courts to favor parents who support their child's transgender identity. The proposal has passed a California Assembly Committee. The bill would amend the Family Code, which outlines how to deal with custody disputes based on what is in the best interest of the child. New text would specify that affirming a child's gender identity is in their best interest. 
Critics say this would impose a blanket policy on family court judges to side with parents who may give their child cross-sex drugs or procedures. One assemblyman wondered why a seven-year-old's decision is always in the best interest of the child. Proponents argued that rejecting gender identity is essentially rejecting the child. Georgia is taking the opposite stance as California. The state has now banned most cross-sex procedures and hormone replacement therapies for children. Governor Brian Kemp signed the new law yesterday. Kemp issued a statement saying that it is the responsibility of Georgians, parents, and elected leaders to safeguard a bright, promising future for kids. Opponents say the new law is an unconstitutional infringement on parents' rights. Doctors would still be able to prescribe medicines to block puberty even after the law takes effect on July 1st. Minors who are already receiving hormone therapy will be allowed to continue. Supporters say the law prevents children from making decisions they might later regret. Georgia, the latest of several U.S. states to impose a similar restriction, Iowa just enacted a ban on cross-sex surgeries for minors on Wednesday. The law allows for some exceptions. For example, in the cases of a diagnosed sexual developmental disorder or injuries or illnesses. Governor Kim Reynolds also signed a second bill. It bans transgender students entering school bathrooms or locker rooms if they don't match their biological sex. And some international organizations are weighing in. World Athletics voted yesterday that only people who have been through female puberty can compete as women. World Athletics governs track and field as well as various running sports. The council has agreed to exclude male to female transgender athletes who have been through male puberty from female world ranking competitions from March the 31st uh, this year. World Athletics President Sebastian Coe said that the decision was based on what he said was the overarching need to protect the female category. The new rules will also impact athletes with what is known as differences in sex development, or DSD. The most famous might be South Africa's two-time Olympic 800-meter winner, Castor Semenya, who has XY chromosomes and blood testosterone levels in the male range. The council vote will require DSD athletes such as Semenya and Namibia's silver medalist Christine Umboma to take testosterone-reducing medication and maintain low levels of the hormone for two years before they are cleared to compete. That could keep some DSD athletes out of events for 24 months. Although Coe said some could apply for a shorter six-month monitoring period. The tighter measures around some of the most contentious and divisive issues in sport follow a similar move by World Aquatics in 2022. Fed-up parents gave heated testimony on Capitol Hill yesterday. They want the Department of Justice to stop labeling them as domestic terrorists and treading on their rights. And today's Daniel Monahan has the report. Congressman Mike Johnson says the National School Boards Association colluded with the Biden administration. The congressman says federal law enforcement officers were inserted into local school board meetings. The vilification of concerned parents by this administration is a gross assault by the federal government. Johnson says the First Amendment protects a parent's right to speak and advocate for their children. But that right has been significantly stifled over the past few years because leftists have decided they apparently know better than parents do. But Representative Mary Gay Scanlon sees things differently. She says the attempt to turn classrooms into the epicenter of divisive culture wars is the real First Amendment threat. Extremists are imposing their beliefs on all students and parents through library book bans, bans on certain subjects in the public school curricula, and censorship of educators. 
Nicole Neely is the president of Parents Defending Education. She says moms and dads became fearful after the DOJ issued a memorandum. It directed the FBI to create a domestic terrorist file. The file was intended to capture evidence from parental protests. Parents have a constitutional right to assemble, to speak, to petition their government for a redress of grievances. But airing these concerns, she says, is now viewed by elected officials as violent, offensive, or hateful. Tiffany Justice, a co-founder of the parents' group Moms for Liberty, says parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their children. Parental rights do not stop at the classroom door. We do not co-parent with the government. Justice reflected on the frustration parents felt during the pandemic, with schools closed with no end in sight as their children's development regressed and depression and anxiety increased. And then they turned to their school boards to try to understand why it was okay for people to gather and riot in the streets and not for children to gather and learn in classrooms. But she says parents were silenced and the FBI was used as a weapon against them by the Department of Justice. But Representative Gerald Nadler says there is little evidence for such claims, calling it a non-existent conspiracy. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. As the debate on banning TikTok continues on Capitol Hill, young Americans who love the app are making their voices heard. In New York City's Washington Square Park, some teenagers say a TikTok ban would stoke the ire of their generation. I think Gen Z would sort of, in their way, riot around this. Look at the range of, of content creators. I mean, my mom is a Gen X, so I don't think it's just limited to Gen Z, but I think they're the change makers of, of making it stay if it were to, to get banned. They believe TikTok has more to offer than just entertainment. Maybe get on the app and educate yourself. I think there's more than just dancing on the app. You'll find education videos, cooking videos. I mean, there's a whole range of content out there. You just have to consume it if you have the time. I've heard a lot of stuff about how they're just going to ban it for government officials because they're wary about, you know, security issues, and that makes sense. But I'm not sure what it would mean for people like us, yeah. just general people. I mean, I don't, I don't have very much impressive stuff on my phone or what that would not. So I don't know what anybody would want with that. I think it would be a real shame if it was banned in the United States. I think information sharing and, and TikTok as a platform for that is exceptionally useful. I've learned more on TikTok about current events than I have through mainstream media because it's more easily accessible and it doesn't have to pass through a bunch of um, bureau, bureaucratic gates. It's, uh, it's freedom of of information and I think it's an awesome platform. But meanwhile, they are realizing the addictive nature of this popular video app. Our generation's starting to realize how addictive it actually is and they're like trying to cut back their screen time and things like that and they realize that there's an algorithm so um, that's meant to keep them on the app and I'm not sure they like that and on Instagram they feel like it's less of an algorithm more just like you're looking for specific things that you want to see. Others share the concerns of lawmakers about TikTok's potential threats to U.S. national security. Makes sense, I guess, because it's like a privacy breach, right? Because they collect a lot of data. Like, I, I have watched a video about the privacy agreement, and apparently, like, once you agree to it, they can view your whole phone. Like, they can see, like, your contacts and such. 
And I thought that that was pretty weird. So that's why I uninstalled it, actually. Because, I, I don't know, I just don't want them to collect data. TikTok has more than 150 million users in the United States. Its CEO just testified in Congress over security concerns with the China-owned app. While some kids are in favor of TikTok, parents are taking a harsh stance against it. In a protest outside the U.S. Capitol yesterday, mothers called for an immediate ban on the app. Shut it down right now. Um, Stop trying to influence our children. Stop allowing um, such harmful things to be on your platform. Most participants were Internet celebrities, influencers and activists. TikTok is a weapon being used to groom our kids. Every single day in America, our children are under attack. Predators are lurking everywhere, trying to get access to your children to groom them. Guys, the next phase of teen despair, of children's despair is here, and it's delivered by a Chinese algorithm. We have to ban it today. Among them, two mothers bared out her concerns. My main concern is girls. It's, a, it's an epidemic at the moment with girls and anxiety and depression. And it's not coming from, we know where it's coming from. This is not a hard one to figure out. So I, I don't see why it would be that challenging to um, do what we're asking, which is ban TikTok. I mean, if you look at the instances of people saying that they're transgender over the past four or five years where it's grown exponentially, you have to look at what could be influencing that. And TikTok has exploded as an app. And so they have to have some sort of influence in the content that they provide that would make kids feel like they want to change who they are. An activist sounded a stronger warning urging Congress to take action. So I'd like to speak directly to any members of Congress who are still on the fence about how they're going to vote on this and the American people. There's a very simple question that we all need to answer, and it's this. If China had soldiers showing up after school to American schools, picking up kids, taking them to indoctrination centers, and then teaching those kids what they want to teach them to produce a future where our children hate our own country, we would all stand up against it. Congress would act. This wouldn't be partisan and it shouldn't be partisan. If you care about our kids, you have to realize this is not an app. This is a weapon. Last week, the Biden administration demanded that TikTok's Chinese owners divest their states. Otherwise, they would face a potential ban. Despite objections, far more lawmakers support the move. Utah has become the first U.S. state where kids need their parents' permission to use social media platforms like Facebook. Governor Spencer Cox signed two new laws yesterday. Our administration is very concerned about how social media is affecting our children. Youth rates of depression and other mental health issues are on the rise, and social media companies know their products are toxic. They designed their apps to be addictive. As leaders and as parents, we have a responsibility to protect our young people. The new laws will also make it easier to sue social media companies for damages. Users will have to submit proof of age before opening a social media account. Anyone under 18 would need permission from a parent to sign up for sites like TikTok and Instagram. The laws also prohibit minors from using social media between the hours of 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. Tech industry lobbyists are calling the laws unconstitutional. They say they violate people's right to free speech online. 
A school district in Utah considers banning the Bible after a parent complained it contains inappropriate material and forced it into a review by the school district. The complaint comes after Utah passed the sensitive materials in schools law last year. That has led to over 250 petitions for certain books to be removed. The books under review are those with sexually explicit or inappropriate content. Going by the Davis School District's website, the parent needs to present 49 pages to be used as evidence of inappropriate content. A committee made up of a district administrator, an English language arts teacher, a librarian, and at least four parents would need to vote on whether the book will remain in local schools or not. The U.S. and Canada have reached a deal to cope with illegal immigration at the northern border. President Biden is in Canada to meet with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. They are expected to announce details of the agreement today. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the situation at the northern border. A face-to-face meeting between the two countries' leaders took place Thursday to discuss issues like illegal immigration. Revisions to the Safe Third Country Agreement are expected to be announced Friday. That's the agreement that allows U.S. and Canadian officials to turn back illegal immigrants at formal ports of entry. It didn't previously apply to unofficial crossings like Quebec's Roxham Road. The unofficial entry point has become a route of choice for illegal crossings. The new agreement would expand the pact so that it applies to the entire length of the border. Now illegal crossers caught using those unofficial entry points will be turned back. There's been a sharp increase in illegal crossings in both directions along the Canadian border in recent months. U.S. Border Patrol stopped nearly 3,000 people crossing illegally into the U.S. from Canada in the last five months. That's more than all of fiscal year 2022. It's been reported that U.S. authorities have been flying illegal immigrants caught trying to cross the U.S.-Canada border to Texas. U.S. Border Patrol has quietly transported around 100 illegal immigrants this month on two charter flights from Plattsburgh, New York, near the border with Canada, to the cities of Harlingen and El Paso. But the southern border is already overwhelmed with a record high spike of illegal entries. A U.S. Border Patrol agent says apprehensions of illegal immigrants in the El Paso sector at the U.S.-Mexico border increased by over 150% between October and February. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The U.S. Border Patrol says an agent rescued a one-year-old child this week at the U.S.-Mexico border. The infant was abandoned by a smuggler. The patrol released a video of a smuggler holding the Guatemalan child. He circumvents a border barrier by swimming along the adjacent Colorado River. He's seen sitting sitting the child down next to the barrier and immediately returning to the river. A white border patrol truck quickly pulls up to the abandoned child and an agent puts the child inside. The chief of the agency says the agent's quick response prevented any further harm to the baby. Customs and Border Protection says the child has now been identified and is in the care of the Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement. Republican state attorneys general are asking the Senate to reject a federal judge nominee. That's after President Biden nominated her twice. 18 state attorneys general wrote a letter saying Nancy Abudu has a divisive and dishonest record. Biden first nominated her in 2022, but the nomination expired. He nominated her again this year. If approved, she would hold a judgeship in districts of Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. She has served as director of strategic litigation for the Southern Poverty Law Center since 2019. The letter says the organization is famous for leveling unfounded charges against political opponents. 
An attorney for the organization was arrested last month and charged with domestic terrorism in Atlanta. The letter says the organization indirectly expressed approval of the attorney's actions. A new train derailment has people scratching their heads. Five freight train cars mysteriously derailed in Iyer, Massachusetts while they were parked. There were no hazardous materials involved and no reported injuries. For an unknown cause, the two uh, double stack containers on one of the trains toppled over and it seems to have uh, ended up pulling four others over environmentally. There's no issues. There is a waterway next to this um, where the containers are at, but we put booms in as a precaution, uh, but there's no leaking uh, contents out of the containers. From what I understand, it doesn't sound like anyone was hurt or injured, which is great news, Uh, but it is concerning. Air is a significant train junction, and uh, it makes you wonder what the protocols are for safety and, uh, and the condition of the rails themselves. Authorities say the freight cars toppled over at about 11.30 a.m. Thursday. They were carrying sealed containers of trash and recycling material. CSX Transportation is investigating the cause of the accident and said the cars derailed on a line jointly owned with Norfolk Southern. The IR Fire Department chief said it may take a day or two to return things back to normal. The search continues in Illinois for a missing Navy sailor. 21-year-old Seamus Gray was last seen leaving a bar in Waukegan early Saturday morning. He was seen on surveillance video just before 2 a.m. walking alone along the lakefront. Gray did not report back to the Naval Station at his assigned time, prompting the Waukegan police and fire departments to begin a search. His mother from Florida is in Waukegan helping in the search. Canceling free trials and subscriptions can be a hassle, but proposed regulations could make the process a bit easier. A proposal by the Federal Trade Commission would ban companies from trying to retain customers through deceptive or burdensome tactics. Under the new rules, consumers would be allowed to cancel memberships and subscriptions the same way they signed up. For example, if you booked a gym membership online, you would also be able to cancel that membership online. And if a free service trial ended, businesses will be banned from sending out unwanted retention offers. The rules also require companies to provide detailed service terms before asking for billing information. The FTC says violators would have to pay tens of thousands of dollars in fines. These rules have not yet been finalized. And coming up, businessmen in China have learned to obey the CCP's rules. But what happens when someone says no? And Beijing's big data hunt, what is it? And how is it fueling the Chinese Communist Party's AI ambitions? We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Representative Greg Murphy is sounding the alarm on drugs from China being prescribed and given to veterans. Here's Murphy testifying on Capitol Hill. And we're now so subsequently allowing drugs to come to our veterans as well as, you know, other drugs coming into this country that are not being analyzed, are not being reviewed, are not being inspected. And so this is an absolute troubling thing to me as a physician. And we now, you know, like it or not, ballistic or not, are at war with our greatest adversary. We saw this with a balloon. We saw this with the absolute flood of fentanyl coming into this country uh, from China. Murphy, who is a physician, was referring to a decision the Veterans Administration made in 2016 that allows for the purchase of drugs that include active ingredients that come from China. 
Murphy is calling to cancel this policy. Chinese authorities raided a U.S. company in Beijing this week. The corporate due diligence firm Mintz Group announced yesterday that five of its staff were detained during the raid. Mintz Group says it will cooperate with Chinese authorities to come to a resolution. According to its website, the company specializes in background checking, fact gathering, and internal investigations and has only one office in mainland China. Mintz Group said the safety and well-being of its employees in China is at the forefront. News of the raid emerged as Beijing gears up for its three-day China Development Forum. That starts tomorrow. The event will host executives and representatives from multiple international organizations. Neither the Chinese Foreign Ministry nor Beijing's Public Security Bureau responded to a request for comment. TikTok claims no relationship with China. However, its parent company ByteDance has been pledging allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party all along. But what could happen if a Chinese tycoon said no to the CCP? NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us a closer look. Businessmen in China are treading lightly around the Chinese Communist Party. Recently, TikTok parent company ByteDance came under scrutiny for its loyalty to the CCP. But in an interview with the New York Times, TikTok CEO said his program has not disclosed any information to China. No foreign government has asked us for U.S. user data before. Really, they haven't. And if they did, we would say no. But what happens if a Chinese tycoon says no to Beijing? Jack Ma was said to be one of the richest men in China. The business magnate is known for his technology conglomerate Alibaba. But all that glory went down the drain after a controversial speech. In front of a group of prominent figures, he pointed a finger at the Chinese financial system. There is no risk in China's financial system because there is no system. What our nation lacks is the risk in a healthy financial system. We need to establish a healthy financial system. In 2020, Ma faced an antitrust investigation from Chinese regulators, losing $12 billion over the course of a few months. Ma mysteriously went missing later that year. And following his later resurface, he now keeps a low public profile. Likewise, Chinese business tycoon Zhen Zhiqiang was known for his sharp criticism of the CCP. In today's China, our only social responsibility is to have all of you guys stand up and tear down this wall in front of us. Then we establish a social democratic system. Zhen was sentenced to 18 years in jail in 2020. The Beijing-controlled court charged him for corruption. But just prior, he had written an essay criticizing the CCP's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. In it, Zhen targeted Xi Jinping, calling him, quote, a clown who stripped naked and insisted on continuing being emperor. He was investigated for what Beijing called suspected serious disciplinary violations. With TikTok, AI chatbots, and microchips making headlines, we'd like to dive deeper into exactly what Beijing's big data hunt is, what its artificial intelligence ambitions look like, and why they matter for the West. Let's zoom in. China has vowed to become the world leader in AI development by 2030 and is pouring huge investment dollars into its development, just like Washington. But funding is only half the battle. Money hires top talent and buys cutting-edge computers, while data is needed to teach this AI. Large troves of data pulled from China's automated mass surveillance systems, Chinese companies, and other countries, sometimes illicitly. The first mention of China's big data strategy appeared in a 2014 Communist Party report. The next year, Beijing published its first planning guideline on how to collect it. 
calling for databases on population, companies, natural resources, tourism, education, and even medical. In 2016, Beijing launched a five-year plan to implement the national big data strategy. But does data become a weapon? An article by Brookings TechStream describes one scenario, personal information, location data, and facial recognition. Those details define who a person is and could be used to identify key persons, like U.S. service members or government officials. From there, those who might be susceptible to influence or recruiting by China could be singled out and weaponized. To combat that future, experts say keeping a lead in the AI tech race should be a top priority. Next up is the need to push for strong privacy protections that limit U.S. user data collection. After that, analysts say lawmakers should treat U.S. data like a national security asset and block Beijing from getting it. Beyond that, they call for more domestic tech regulation and to give other nations an alternative to making deals with China that could open them up to data harvesting. All of that to deny China resources to educate its AI. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Still to come, European Union leaders meet in Germany to discuss immigration policy. They want to stem the flood of illegal immigration. Nationwide protests continue in France. It's the most serious challenge to the president's authority in four years. More shortly here on NTD News Today. A new Brexit deal known as the Windsor Framework is approved by the UK. Britain's foreign minister and the European Commission vice president are now prepared to formally sign off on it. And we've now found a way to move forward. We've found a way to unlock the full potential of what is a very strong and important partnership between the UK and the EU. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak won the backing of Parliament on Wednesday for a key element known as the Stormont Break. Just 29 members of Parliament voted against the deal, including former Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. That's compared to over 500 who voted in favour. Britain hopes the New Deal will fix the issues surrounding Northern Ireland. It allows Britain to prevent new European Union laws from applying to goods in Northern Ireland if asked to do so by a third of lawmakers in Northern Ireland. In a statement, Cleverly said he looked forward to effective cooperation with the EU. The European Union, meanwhile, is still plagued by immigration issues. Germany is hosting a meeting so the EU can improve its policy and limit illegal immigration. Member countries are concerned about the current system. Um, It's going to be difficult to reach uh, agreements. Uh, There are many different national standpoints to to take into respect. But uh, we are firmly believing in the Swedish presidency that we will be able to reach conclusions. Uh, We will do our utmost to do that. But it will take very difficult compromises from, from all participating countries. I cannot stress enough how important the uh, asylum and migration debate is for my country, for Belgium, because Belgium too is overburdened uh, today, but Belgium really believes in European solutions for European problems. Representatives from Germany, France, Sweden, Belgium, Spain and Italy all attended the meeting in Berlin. In February, European Union leaders said they would tighten their borders to keep away unwanted immigrants. Some countries sought more fences and walls, while others would rather spend money to improve living conditions in worse-off parts of the world. 
27 national leaders met in EU hub Brussels at the time to express concern about the increasing arrivals. Some 330,000 border crossings into EU countries were recorded last year. Nationwide protests continue in France one week after President Macron overruled lawmakers to pass his pension reform bill. Paris saw hundreds of thousands of protesters on the streets and violent clashes with police. The latest wave of protests represents the most serious challenge to the president's authority since the Yellow Vest movement four years ago. Entities France correspondent David Vives has the story. The number and scale of protests in France over the pension reform isn't decreasing. On the contrary, Thursday saw around 300 rallies across France. Unions say 800,000 protesters showed up in Paris alone. Some demonstrations have been marred by violent clashes with police. In Paris, footage posted on social media show policemen attacking protesters with batons. In another video, a policeman appears to have fainted. Police said it has started investigations into alleged violence committed by officers. Protesters are angered by Macron's decision to push the pension changes through parliament without a vote. The president broke weeks of silence on Wednesday to say he would stand firm and the law would come into force by the end of the year. He compared some of the protests to the January 6th breach of the U.S. Capitol. Rather than his intentions, Macron's words seem to have only drawn more opposition to him. I came here because I oppose this reform and I really oppose the fact that democracy no longer means anything. The Article 49.3 that Macron used. We're not being represented and so we're fed up. They should not underestimate the importance of citizen movements. They should know that 3% of the population are mobilizing for a revolution. So at any point, a citizen movement could change things. Of course, we should not give up. It's now more than ever that everything is at stake. Some political groups have found new initiatives to oppose Macron. One small party called on French MPs to trigger a special decree of the constitution to dismiss the president. More than 8 out of 10 French said they are angry with the government's economic and social policies. I think that it can change if we can last longer and uh, if uh, the protests can uh, uh, stay at least one month and uh, we have to block the country in a strong way that the government cannot ignore the people's will. Protesters also blockaded Paris' Charles de Gaulle airport in Paris, as well as several train stations across France. Industrial action at refineries has been affecting fuel deliveries. In Normandy, authorities ordered staffs to get back to work, but this has been challenged. There were clashes between the police and the workers. We know that today the government doesn't want to see the country burn. We do not accept and the workers do not accept to have our right to strike infringed upon, only because the head of the prefecture feels like he needs to send fuel to Paris airport. Unions have called for more protests. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Nicola Sturgeon gave her last speech as First Minister of Scotland yesterday, marking the end of an era. Sturgeon announced last month that she would step down, saying the job takes its toll on you and all around you. Here's what she said yesterday. Even although I know uh, without a shadow of a doubt that the time is right for me to go, uh, I do feel emotional today. And perhaps the reason for that is that I know beyond doubt 
that even if I live to be 100 years old, there is no phase in my life that will be as special or as meaningful to me as these last eight years have been. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for the privilege of being your First Minister. The longest serving First Minister has said she's confident her successor will deliver Scottish independence. Sturgeon recently faced challenges over her bill, which would have made it easier for people to legally change their gender. Voting for the Scottish National Party leadership contest will end on Monday. Contenders for Scotland's top job are Kate Forbes, Ash Regan, and Humza Youssef. Polling by Ipsa Scotland found Forbes is viewed more favorably by the general public, but Youssef is most popular among SNP voters who have the final say. Regan polled the worst among the three candidates. Outgoing First Minister Nicola Sturgeon's popularity increased in the past month. A wealthy Nigerian politician and his wife are facing jail time for organ harvesting involving a U.K. hospital. In a landmark trial, the chief Crown prosecutor called it a horrific plot to exploit a vulnerable victim. Senator E.K. Ekweramadu and his wife, Beatrice, were found guilty Thursday at the Criminal Court of England in Wales. They were charged with conspiring to arrange the travel of a young man with the purpose of exploiting him for a body part. Nigerian doctor Obina Oteba was described by prosecutors as a middleman. He was also convicted. The couple's daughter, who has a serious kidney condition, wept in court as she was cleared by the jury. The victim was a street trader from Lagos. He was brought to the UK last year to provide a kidney to the daughter. The prosecution said he was offered up to $8,500 and the promise of a better life in the UK. It's the first time defendants have been convicted under the Modern Slavery Act of an organ harvesting conspiracy. And just ahead, a new art fair opens in Paris. It's entirely dedicated to drawings. Find out what's catching the eye of visitors and collectors just after this break. Good to have you back with us. In Paris, an international arts fair dedicated to drawings has opened its doors to the public. Art dealers and museums are showcasing masterpieces for collectors to buy and visitors to admire. Entity's France correspondent David Vives has the story. Painters, sculptors, and architects may have one thing in common. Their work doesn't usually begin with a canvas or a stone, but at the tip of a pencil. The Salon du Dessin Drawings Fair at the Palais Brognard in Paris exhibits some of the most prestigious drawings from the 15th century to today. These art pieces usually were considered drafts and hence rarely saw the light of day. But nowadays, drawings have their own shows and collectors. The fair features 39 exhibitors from 8 countries. The fair's president, Louis de Bayer, says drawing here can be worth between several thousands to several million pounds when it comes to Italian Renaissance artists. There are two requirements. It has to be an original, so that excludes anything engraved or lithographic works, and it has to be done on paper. So at this moment, as soon as we start, it can be a red chalk, it can be a watercolor, it can be pastel, it could be pencil. Therefore, it can be very, very varied. Some drawings were made by artists for a painting, 
Some drawings were made for a sculpture, and others were made as preparatory work for a project. One of the common themes chosen by 16th century artists are nativity scenes. Here a drawing by Dutch artists of this era. It's a religious drawing, since it's the Virgin and Child, so we're in the religious theme, even though we could also think that we're just talking about a mother with her child, since she's holding her child in swaddling clothes. What is very beautiful, I find, is precisely the look and the emotion of the mother who looks at her child. Artists from the post-Renaissance era started working from a young age to perfect their canon techniques. They had extensive knowledge of depicting human body, focused on lighting and perspective. They were guided by the research of beauty. Being able to draw scenes with the best precision was at the center of the Italian Renaissance movement, popularized by artists such as Leonardo da Vinci. The teachings they left behind were used as academic standards by artists who followed. This is true for this drawing by an English artist who belonged to the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. This is a wonderful drawing by an English artist named Henry Ryland, who worked in the second half of the 19th century. He exhibited at the Royal Academy of Arts. You see the quality of the drawing? This is all in pencil. It's extremely delicate. And you can read there, Lumen de Lumine, which means to shed light on light. In fact, it means that the Son is consubstantial with the Father. That's to say that the Son has received the divine essence from the Father, and it is an extremely strong drawing, with a face full of grace and elegance. Some drawings are also preparatory works for ambitious large-sized paintings, such as this one from the Italian painter Luca Giordano. This is probably one of the most beautiful drawings of the artist. You can see this pencil tiling, which is precisely the sign of a later enlargement on a canvas. It is what allowed the artist to keep the same proportions on much larger formats. Indeed, one can imagine, like the wedding at Cana, a painting that is almost human-sized. This technique allowed for the artist to develop his composition on large formats. The Salon du Dessin Drawings Fair will run until the 27th of March. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. If you're looking for a reason to renovate, here's one. You never know what you could find behind the walls. A couple in northern England was remodeling their apartment kitchen when workers found two murals believed to be nearly 400 years old behind the walls. Historians say the artwork is from the 17th century. It depicts a biblical scene. The History Department of the UK government is assisting in having the murals documented and will look after them for the couple. The couple was given a high-quality life-size replica of the murals, which they've incorporated in their decor. The apartment is part of a Georgian building dating back to 1747. And coming up, dog attacks are taking their toll on sheep farming in the UK, with losses measured in the millions of dollars. And Native American tribes on the Great Plains welcomed the return of dozens of bison from Colorado. We'll be back with that story soon on NTD News.
It's lambing season in the UK, the busiest time for sheep farmers, but attacks from unrestrained dogs are making it a difficult time. The UK's National Farmers Union says dog attacks cost the industry almost two and a half million dollars last year. The union blames irresponsible dog owners. The situation became worse with the puppy buying boom during the pandemic. Many dogs weren't properly trained. A survey last month showed that more than 60% of owners admit that their dogs chase other animals, though almost half of them didn't believe their pets could harm or kill livestock. And two-thirds of dog owners allow their animals to roam in the countryside. In 2016 alone, at least 15,000 sheep were killed from dog attacks. A farmer recalls the loss of his own sheep. About nine o'clock in the morning, I came to check the sheep and feed them like I do every morning to find a ewe dead uh, near the footpath, had its back legs severely mauled, and it was in Lamb Twins, so yeah, it's quite a financial blow as well. It's becoming a weekly occurrence, if not twice a week now, dog attacks. Police say education and awareness have failed to make irresponsible dog owners restrain their pets. In 2018, the National Police Chiefs Council issued a status report. It urged further action, including the introduction of laws to punish noncompliant dog owners. Bison are rejoining Native American tribes from across the Great Plains, just as they existed throughout history. A handover of 30 bison took place this week outside of Denver. After ceremonial drumming and singing rituals, the bison were loaded onto trucks. They will head to tribal lands in Wyoming, North Dakota, and Oklahoma. These sturdy animals were once inseparable from the American landscape, but as settlers moved in two centuries ago, commerce and hunting drove the bison to near extinction. The Denver Zoo was the former keeper of the transferred bison. A park official said remaining animals in the city have been auctioned off for years, but recently authorities have begun turning them over to native tribes. Uh, this is a celebration that um, these bison have been owned by for about 100 years by the city and county of Denver. We've got six buffalo. We're reconnecting with our Yuchi community and uh, restoring those relations, and it'll be uh, the beginning of uh, the first herd uh, for us. Um, and we'll um, be able to connect our language to our land and our original animals. So it's a really important uh, ceremonial and spiritual connection for us. The transfer comes two weeks after Interior Secretary Deb Holland issued a bison conservation order. The directive aims to expand the population of bison on Native American lands. Holland also announced a $25 million investment to build new herds. The animals have been transferred to reservations from other tribes, from federal, state, and local governments, and from private ranches. Across the nation, 82 tribes now own a total of more than 20,000 bison, and that number has been increasing in recent years. You can help your body to eliminate toxins by following a few simple steps. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. We are exposed to many toxins through food, air and water. That makes detoxification a modern day must, especially if we want to avoid sickness. So let's look at four simple ways to rid our bodies of this toxic burden. Number one, pop a probiotic. 
You don't have to pop a pill to get a probiotic. It's best to ingest a probiotically cultured food such as kombucha, yogurt and cultured veggies. You'll also support your microbes by eating more fruits and vegetables. Aim for organic as it's grown in healthy soil. The Earth's microbiome is where good bacteria comes from. And number two, break a sweat. Sadly, sweating has become synonymous with something gross that should be blocked. The reality is that we're meant to move our bodies in sweat as it's one of your primary detoxification channels. Also, it releases profoundly uplifting and regenerative hormonal and neurochemical secretions. Number three, don't break the fast. In America, we're incredibly overfed while simultaneously dying of nutritional deficiencies. One of the best ways to optimize your detoxification systems is to stop eating before sundown and skip breakfast entirely. In other words, skip breakfast and continue through your day until you are truly hungry. At that point, eat something wholesome and organic. If you want to build a healthy brain and body, eliminate processed foods made of grains, sugars and toxic seed oils. Instead, snack on a salad, an apple or some organic nuts. Focus on eating one really good meal later in the day. And number four, spice up your life. Basic culinary spices can work wonders to simulate body detoxification. If you love garlic, you are already a step ahead of those who only tolerate it. If not, don't ignore its potential application in foods you are already enjoying. The point is, we have plenty of help all around us in our kitchen cupboards on our spice racks. Italian tenor Andrea Bocelli serenaded fans in Times Square yesterday. He was in New York City to promote his film The Journey, a music special from Andrea Bocelli. The film features eight original songs, many of them are sung by Bocelli. It hits theaters in the U.S. on April 2nd. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.